0: So this morning, we are at number five. We had planned seven messages in this series, but we're going to shorten it to six. Pastor Jeremy will be preaching the weekend of Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving. I'm excited to hear from him. Don't you go Don't, don't go to sleep on uh, my associate now. This dude's a firebrand, and I'm going to be right up here on the front row. And you need to be in, if you're in town, you need to be in church. Everybody say, be in church. Be in church. Say one service, one service. 10, a.m. 10 a.m. That's the Sunday after uh I started to say Easter. That's a Sunday after Thanksgiving. Okay, so Pastor Jeremy will be preaching. Today, the title of the message in this change series is called Adversity is Your Friend. I know I felt the same way. You don't seem too excited about it, and I'll just tell you right on the, on the front end that preaching about adversity or suffering doesn't fill stadiums, but it's still a necessary word that is part of the New Testament. It's part of the life and experience of the covenant people of God. It was in Israel in the Old Testament and it is in our lives as the church, spiritual Israel. Adversity as your friend. Series text that we've been talking about for these weeks came from Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, say it with me, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our message text, is from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Two verses, though the Lord gave you, that say it with me, adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. King James says, though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. How many of you feel like there've been some times in your life when that's been your diet? How many of you know when you get a good taste of the bread of adversity and you drink a few gallons of the water of affliction, it's going to give you a gastronomic incident. You're going to have some issues you're going to have to deal with spiritually. You you, you, make some, you, you run trotting to the bathroom." And I'm talking about spiritually. You know, David said in Psalm 51, he says, Cleanse me, Lord, and I will be clean. He said, Purge me with hyssop. And purge is an interior thing. It is, it is a kind of a purgative. It's, it's like something that has the word lax behind it. You all know what lax is. And it just kind of cleans out your insides. I don't want to be offensive or crass to anybody. But how many of you know God is after cleaning out not just the outside of the cup, but he wants to clean the inside of the cup too. And sometimes he has to purge us with hyssop. He has to to clean us out internally. He wants us to start fresh from the inside out. Somebody say amen. And he sometimes takes us through seasons where we eat adversity for food and we drink suffering for drink. King James says bread of adversity and water of affliction. He says, then you will hear the voice of your teacher. This is the way, walk ye in it. The New Living Translation says, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. One thing that I want to bring to bear during this message this morning, this is the overarching idea that we'll be weaving in and out of what we're saying today. Look at the screen and read it out loud with me, please, like you mean it. When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, then we become willing to change. Now think about that. Let's get it one more time so it really sinks in. Here we go. When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, Then we become willing to change. Let's pray this morning. Father, help us today. We look to you and I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be in my words, in my thoughts, in the hearing, and the perception, the understanding, the thoughts of your people. Do what only you can do. I desperately need you today, Lord. I acknowledge that. Don't let this just be just the words of man. Lord, like the Apostle Paul, I ask you today that that I can, it can be my testimony that I can say, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Let the S spirit of God invade this space and this place today. Let the power of God be present to save, to heal, to deliver, to set free. Lord, we look to you, we ask you in Jesus' name to show us this concept, what it means that adversity is our friend. We look to you, Jesus. Thank you that you endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before you. God, I thank you today. I ask you in Jesus' name to bless this time. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. I've been reading a book the last few weeks that has been in my library for almost 20 years. Um, uh, let me correct that, about 15 years. The original was written in the late 90s by a Ph.D. by the name of Paul Stoltz. The original was called The Adversity Quotient. And the one that I have was his follow-up book called The Adversity Quotient at Work. And he's proposing some ideas about what is needed in the new millennium in the 21st century by a people that are going to be affected by the steady and consistent increase of knowledge, that it's going to take a certain kind of worker that has the ability to be resilient, to be flexible, that can maintain in the midst of chaotic change, that can continually learn how to do something new and isn't afraid of change. I'll just be honest with you. I am part now at fifty-eight. I know y'all can't believe is just around the corner for me. I, I, I know I look real good, and y'all just can't believe that I'm nearly sixty. I'm kidding. Yeah, you know, i really I'm kidding. Thank you for your for your kindness. Um, I I I I want to keep myself sharp and to keep learning. I want to be able to embrace change, not just for the sake of change, but when change really is a good thing. Because all change is not necessarily good. Some things don't need to change. Some things desperately need to change. But the older we get, the harder it is sometimes to change the way we think and the way we do things. A person, a man or a woman of the kingdom of God, has to be willing to change in order to embrace the new thing that God is doing. God always, when we get him crystallized into a box and a set of expectations, has a way of sneaking out of our box outside the acceptable camp, showing up among the rejected and the down and out and pouring out his Holy Spirit. He's done it generation after generation after generation. That's the reason we always need to be careful how we're treating the down and out and the poor and the downtrodden. Come on. I don't care what party you think I'm talking about politically. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking gospel. Right. Jesus said to remember the poor. We need, to be, we need to take care of those that are the least and the lost and the helpless among us and love them and help them and reach to them. Somebody said, you know what? I, when, we, when we do the coat drive or when we do these giveaways like we have done it at, at Thanksgiving, somebody asked me last year, why aren't you giving turkeys away? I said, because every other church in town has started doing it. We don't need to. We're going to go do something else they're not doing. We always, forgive me, I don't care how this sounds. It is not arrogant. It's truly humble in every sense of the word. We look for something that other churches are not doing to meet a need so we can do something. Praise God they're doing it now. Thank you. Keep doing it because we're going to do something different. And so we want to remember those that Jesus said that we need to remember. Now, sometimes when Jesus talked, he sounded like this political party. And sometimes when he talked, he sounded like this political party. That's the reason we can't be so stuck and so drink the Kool-Aid from either side that we refuse to see the hypocrisy on both sides. And I'm talking about Washington. I am talking politics now. Are y'all hearing me this morning? We need to be people who can abide in the middle and reach to both and go, this is the way of the kingdom. And sometimes the pendulum swings to this and sometimes it swings to this because Jesus is reaching to the whole world. Come on, somebody. And so this morning we, we want to realize that we need to have an ability to be resilient, to be strengthened, to, to not faint, to not give up, to not be so under pressure that we wrinkle that we melt like a snowflake, that we fall apart, that we, that we crumble under the pressure, that we cave in. The adversity quotient is about the ability of people. It has to do with our heart. It has to do with courage in the face of fear. It has to do with tenacity and consistency and perseverance in the face of a generation that is instant gratification. I want it right now, and I won't hang on longer than five minutes to get it. Because anything that's worth anything is going to take time. It's going to take investment. It's going to take tenacity. It's going to take perseverance. These are characteristics of the kingdom of God and we desperately need to embody them and to demonstrate them to the rest of the world so that we're not just a bunch of whiny, complaining, gritching snowflakes. Come on, somebody. And then trying to slap a cross on it and say, what would Jesus do? Come on now, I know I, I, I preach. I know I'm in the right church. Y'all help me a little bit this morning in this place. Uh, you know, the, one of the one of the leading uh, religious leaders came to Jesus one day and he said, "What is the greatest commandment?" And Jesus said, "To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself." Literally, that represents the two bars of the cross. I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, and I reach up to God. But he says that's not all of it. The rest of it is to love your neighbors yourself. So I have to reach out on the bars of the cross to people around me that aren't like me, that don't think like me, that don't look like me. And I have to love them. We've already preached through all of that. That's not just people in my tribe, people that look like me, people that live in my neighborhood, people that make me happy, the people that make me comfortable. Jesus said, love your neighbor. That's all of those other folks that you think you don't have to have anything to do with and don't care about. Jesus cares about it. He cares about whether you care about them. Come on, somebody, don't shout me down. I'm preaching good already. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Pastor Chip was here for the Leadership Summit and did a remarkable job talking to us Uh, about leadership and transition. And he had on one of his pages, um, he had this issue of heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he he laid out, he didn't know that the next week I'd planned on preaching on adversity. And I'd taken out this book off my shelf on the adversity quotient. And so in one of Pastor Chip's leadership summit outlines, he had heart, soul, mind, and strength. And heart, he had AQ, adversity quotient. And soul, he had EQ, emotional quotient. Mind, he had IQ, intelligence quotient. Strength, he had LQ, learning quotient. And I wish I had time to develop. This really is a series in itself. It's a four-message series to develop that. But just to give you about two minutes to explain that, your adversity quotient has to do with your heart. That is your ability to endure under times of difficulty, trouble, trial, tribulation, stuff you didn't plan for that hits you out of the blue. Uh, Your emotional quotient has to do with your soul. Whether or not you're aware of how everybody else around you sees you. Sometimes folk with the highest IQ, they have minds that are amazing, have sometimes the lowest EQ. They're just goofy around people. And you just want to go, come on, keep hanging around folks. We're going to help you be able to grow out of that and quit being so socially awkward. And just, you know, dial it back a little bit. Now, come on out. Don't be a wallflower either, you know. And and sometimes folk just have never learned to be comfortable in their skin around other people. And so we have to love on them and help grow their EQ. Come on, somebody. Where you have a good awareness, a self-awareness, your soul is healthy, and you're aware of how everybody's seeing you, and, and you're able to be able to interact with other folk and it not come off making them feel weird. Okay. Now, IQ is obvious. We've emphasized that for years. That's no longer the critical issue when when companies are hiring. They're really not interested in how smart you are anymore. They want to know whether or not you have a, a good LQ, your learning quotient. Can you encounter a new situation and immediately shift into gear that puts you in a teachable mode that says, I'm willing to learn something new? Are you willing to change? If you're going to be current, if you're going to continue to be promoted, if you're going to enjoy the kind of life and the remuneration from all your work and, and, a, and a higher standard of living, then you're always going to have to continually learn. Look at your neighbor and say, keep learning. Your learning quotient is your strength. Your heart is your adversity quotient. The ability to, to, to remain under, to abide, to endure, to persist. Your soul is your EQ, your emotional quotient. Your mind is your intelligence quotient. Your, your strength, the, the gift that God gave you is your ability to keep it sharp and keep learning. This morning I want to focus on that whole heart issue, that whole adversity side of things. When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, then we become willing to change. It was William Arthur Ward, a famous Methodist minister who's who is well known for his inspirational quotes and his proverbs and his pithy axioms that he writes, he said this, he said adversity causes some to break and others to break records. Think about that. Adversity, difficulty, hard times, struggles causes some people to break under the pressure But it causes others to dig down deep and find something of greatness on the inside of them that rises up and that adversity causes them to perform at a higher level. It causes some to break under the pressure. It causes others to break records, to set higher sales records, to meet the deadlines and to follow through and to have the ability to deal with chaos and be able to change and not lose your mind, not have a heart attack in the process. Point number one, destiny and determination. Destiny and determination. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Three verses, and he's describing the struggle that he and other New Testament church leaders are having in bringing the gospel to this whole new age, this whole new age of grace. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles. What's the next word you see emboldened? Everybody say, but, come on, come on. Do you remember Sesame Street, Conjunction, Junction, Watch your function? (laughs) Putting together words and phrases and sentences. Now, I I was back there in all 6 when they started Sesame Street. I was about six years old going to daycare at the lady who was our babysitter, and they would turn on Sesame Street every afternoon in front of this big old bubbled out looking old TV that was about three feet wide, deep rather, And we'd sit there and watch Oscar the Grouch come out of the trash can and Big Bird and all that. And we were singing conjunction, junction. And the beautiful thing about these conjunctions is that they interrupt. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Get it with me. Come on, emphasize the emboldened word when I get there. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Come on, there's victory in this. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Come on, I had one of those clown punching bags when I was a kid that had sand in the bottom of it and I'd walk up and punch the bag and it would, it would fall over and it would come, sometimes kind of hang there and then all of a sudden it would creep right back up and it would get hit and I would punch it down and it would just kind of linger and then all of a sudden it would come right back up for more. How many of you know that's what we're supposed to be in the kingdom of God? We get knocked down, but we come right back up. Come on, there's something, there's a, there's a foundation in your base. There's something that, that's, that writes you, that sets you right back up. Come on, come on, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up eight. Come on, come on, somebody. And, and it's the point, that there's no quit on the inside of us because we're gonna, we may get knocked down, but we're not going to lay down. We're going to get right back up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 10, through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We love the mountaintop. Man, I love to watch Bear Grylls take all these celebrities and stars and athletes out here on these crazy treks across mountains and caverns and caves and all this stuff that they'll crawl down into and 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 rappel up and or back down and then across way 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 down hundreds of feet below them And and it just it it is I'm almost on the end of my seat, sitting on the edge of the couch, watching. Sometimes these celebrities that are doing what Bear tells them to do. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Bear is a born again, spirit filled believer. Loves Jesus. I've read his biography, his autobiography rather, and is a committed believer. Loves Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. So just that's an interesting thought. We love the mountaintops. And the mountaintops are awesome to celebrate. There's nothing like being able to finally struggle to get the last step and step out there on the edge of the crag and look over the vista and see the panoramic beauty of God's creation and the fact that we're standing on this thing. We have conquered the mountain. And this, this faith arises in our hearts and our chests swell. And we breathe in the air of victory and we're excited when we see the mountaintop. But I want you to realize... There is no fruit growing on the mountaintop. You have to have the valley in your life to grow the fruit. That's where the sweet grapes grow that get crushed, that make the wine, that make glad the heart of man. That's where the crops grow that feed you. They're in the valley. And the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit is going to happen when we follow God off the mountaintop down into the valley of the struggle, sometimes where the shadow of death seems to be hot on our tail. and and chasing us and though the scripture might say surely goodness and mercy are following me sometimes I feel like the shadow of death right on my tail. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We love the mountaintops but it's the valleys where the fruit grows and God made us to be able to experience and drink deeply from every one of those experiences The struggles that we face, the adversity, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction that we drink, difficulty isn't meant to derail us, but it's meant to develop us. The struggles that we face are not meant to cause us to cave in or to implode under pressure, but it's meant to develop us and make us stronger. It was one poet that said it this way, Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. And you got to think about that. The ability of the tree to stand many times is based on the strength that it's grown in resiliency from opposing winds in the past. As a matter of fact, botanists, I read this this week in and, 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 and just Googling overcoming adversity. The botanists have said that the trees actually need the harsh march winds to after the stagnant place of the winter, to drive the xylem and the phloem, to drive up the sap from the root all the way out to the edge of the branches where the new growth is taking place. You actually need the harsh winds of March blowing in your life to push the growth juice up to the edge so that you can begin to bear more fruit. Somebody say amen. This was taken from Jim Stovall's Refresh Leadership website. Listen. Albert Einstein wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old, and his teachers said he would never amount to much. Aren't you glad Albert didn't pay attention to some foolish teachers? Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, went home, locked himself in the room, and cried. Now, some of you are already thinking, what a fool was that coach to cut him? How many know that coach was not his enemy? That coach was his friend. Because it got him into a serious mode where he took his gifts significantly more serious than he had and he got into a mode of growth. Adversity was his friend and pressed him into a new place that made him become a world champion. So the setbacks that you may be facing right now, it's how you look at them that are more critical than what you're actually going through. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Walt said, all the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. Steve Jobs was left devastated and depressed at 30 years old after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started. That's Apple computers. And they brought him back with a vengeance. And the whole world is taking a bite out of that Apple at one point or another. Oprah Winfrey was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television. Is that a hoot or what? (laughs) The Beatles were rejected by the Decca Recording Studios. Those people are sorry. Who said, we don't like their sound, they have no future in show business, and guitar music is on the way out. (laughs) Ha! Gosh. Lucille Ball was dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time. She's too shy to put her best foot forward. Now, you got to be a little older to know who Lucille Ball is. I love Lucy. We have our own Lucy and Ricky, you know. Gorgeous, gorgeous redhead and a hot Latino. I do what I can to keep your attention, okay? Thomas Edison was told by a teacher that he was too stupid to learn anything and that he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. (laughs) Invented hundreds of items that we now use in our homes today. Abraham Lincoln's fiancee died. He failed in business twice. He had a nervous breakdown and he was defeated in eight elections. Eight times put a strength in his backbone and gave him the tenacity that would require him to be the kind of man it would take to hold the United States of America together in the greatest internal conflict we've ever had, the Civil War of the North and the South. And he fought that last year trying to, with tooth and nail, to get the 13th Amendment established and passed, ratified, which abolished slavery, In the United States of America, and the 14th Amendment, which declared that every person born in this soil would be a natural-born citizen of America. Now, I don't want to offend you this morning, but I don't care what the orange man in the White House is going to try to do to write that off in an executive order. Again, it got so quiet because some of you are Trumpers. And I just want want to help you right now. Don't have a dog in the fight so hard that you can't see the hypocrisy on both sides. Now, that doesn't mean we need to shoot off our mouths and put up a bunch of political stuff on Facebook. We need to pray. I just said it just because I wanted to see how you would respond to me. Come on. Every real, true, thinking believer, if you were an Obama supporter, you at least have sense enough to be able to say everything he did was not necessarily a good for us. Please... If you voted for Trump, at least have the God given sense and the discernment to be able to say everything that comes out of his mouth isn't always the truth. I don't know if y'all still love me this morning after this. Remember, don't care about your party. Let's just be able to stand in the middle and discern and call it like it is and be real people. Okay? Failure isn't final. Y'all, y'all, are, y'all are sharper than the first service because they didn't take it as good as I, y'all just did right then when I said that. Failure isn't final. It is the fertilizer for your future success. The only thing that is final is quitting. No outside force, current circumstance, or future obstacle can keep you from your destiny if you are willing to persevere. Being successful is a choice, and therefore being defeated is a decision. It's always up to you. You might be in the middle of a failure right now, but like that little thing that gets up that has the sand in the bottom of it, don't lay on the ground. Come on, there's something inside you that will right you and put you right back up and say, Come on, give me another round. And guess what? This can be the time you can break through and experience the success that God has called you to experience because you didn't quit. When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, then we become willing to change. Number two, trust God in the trials. The difficulties that we face, we have to lean into God's strength. When I don't have the strength, 60 days, six months, after I lost my, my sweet wife, the love of my life. We're talking to Abby on the phone yesterday, and she said, Dad, there's so many. I just, I can't, and, I, and there's so much I don't tell because I don't want folk to think I'm bragging. It's crazy the stuff that is happening for her. And it just blows our minds. And she says, Dad, I just don't know if I'm ready for this. There's so much pressure. She said, Dad, this is, it's, it's just outrageous the stuff that they're offering me. And I'm praying and I'm trying to get the, the will of the Lord and, and discern this and do the right thing. And I said, Abby, you listen to me right now, baby girl. You were born for this. You, you were born for this. And though you may have outrageous pressure coming at you from the outside, there's something on the inside of you that's greater than what's on the outside of you. And this is the verse that I quoted to her yesterday. Go ahead and put it up for me. First John. First John chapter 4. Go, go on down to the end. Get that for me. First John chapter 4. There it is. Read it with me, saints. Come on. The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Everybody say, the greater one is in me. Come on, say it. The greater one is in me. Yes, there's pressure from the outside. Yes, there are deadlines. Yes, there are bills that aren't paid in your life. Yes, there are circumstances that you feel like you don't have the strength to face. But there's something down on the inside of you that's greater than whatever is trying to destroy you from the outside. It's called the spirit of the living God. Trust God in the trials. Proverbs twenty four ten. Look at this one. Go back if you would. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now don't sit around and, and whine and complain and go, well, I'm defeated, my strength is small, I can't stand up under this. That's just a test to show you where the pressure is. That's just a test to show you where you now need to lean into the Lord and put your trust in Him. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. It was The ESV said it this way. If we fail under pressure, then our strength is too small. That's when we need to back up and go, okay, God, I need you. I need the greater one. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me up with you on the inside of me. Because the capital S, Spirit of the Living God, is greater inside you than the one in the world that's trying to make you implode from the pressure. I have to stop and ask a question. Where is this adversity coming from? Sometimes it is a product of my own actions and my own decisions. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Ask the question, am I going through this difficult season right now because of my own decisions, because of my own actions, because of choices that were not wise that I made? Okay, that'll help me realize I need to learn a lesson from this. I don't need to keep making that same decision expecting different results. I need to go, God, help me, forgive me, help me make good decisions. I pray for a crop failure on all of those decisions. Let your favor come and rest on me. Help me make godly decisions in that area of my life from this point on. Okay, you're still having trouble. It's not necessarily from your sowing bad seed. Maybe it's what we call spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness in high places. They are, there's a very real enemy that wants to eliminate the possibility of your realizing the destiny to which God called you. The reason Jesus died, to set you free, to make you a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, filled with hope and joy and peace and the love of God. He'll do everything he can to derail you. He will try to throw you off track. He will try to discourage you. He will try to, when discouragement comes, it's about taking your heart out. It's about robbing your heart from you. The final question is, is this from me? Is it spiritual warfare? Or could it possibly be the Lord's discipline? Hebrews chapter 6, or chapter 12, I'm sorry, verses 5 through 12 are actually quoting Proverbs 3 where it says, every child the Lord receives... He deals with. He disciplines every son. He scourges. That means when you've grown up and had some maturity and he's calling you a full-grown son, then you're going to have real dealings. And it's, it's not punitive, but it's therapeutic. He's trying to grow something inside of you. He's trying to develop you, not destroy you. He's trying to develop you, not derail you. And when we recognize that and embrace the dealings of the Lord and say, God, I'm yours. Teach me. I'm, I'm willing. Show me, Father. Show me, help me change my mind. I'll take responsibility and get in your word and renew my thinking so that I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Lord, I I know the importance of that. Show me, Lord, how to do this. When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, then we become willing to change. Many times that's what adversity's for. God will show us through difficult circumstances I've never told this before because I'm always, I try to be guarded about things my children may or may not, certainly if they don't want it told, then I don't. Abby finished the first year of school at Belmont and I drove over those semesters about twice during each semester to play for her for uh, some of her seminars and recitals where she had to sing music in her commercial voice classes. And it was just, I said, I'll do this the first year. After that first year, you ought to have time to meet some keyboard players that are way better than I am and and get you some people in there, guitar player, piano player, whatever, and to accompany you so you do your classes and can make a good grade. And so by the second year, she'd met some folks that could do that. The end of the first year, we're actually involved in auditions for all the ensembles and all these different groups that have these different really cool names, and they put on these stage shows and uh, Belmont is probably one of the top ten music schools in the whole world. The whole, not the world, but the, world, the whole country, the U.S. And, and so they're very well known for their music programs, certainly. And I'll just tell you right now, Abby auditioned for three of them and didn't make any of them. And she was, like, shocked. And I just felt like this was the dealing of the Lord in her life. I didn't say that. Because, you know, sometimes when the dealing of God's on you, the last thing you need is somebody telling you, God's dealing with you. But I just loved her, and I said, baby, it will be fine. You're going to be fine. She was in women's choir, and women's choir is where everybody who didn't make an ensemble gets put. But it, it set a fire on the inside of her, and something started happening. She got up and started jogging every day, and she dropped some weight, and she was going through vocal exercises and just keeping herself healthy, and she was spending time in prayer, and she was journaling, and she was calling and talking to me and saying, Dad, pray for this. And something, a fire got lit over the summer, between her first and her second year. And she started hanging out with some of these new friends and writing songs together. And had she been in those ensembles, she wouldn't have had time to have made the relationships that she did and wrote the songs that she did and recorded the songs that she wrote that all of a sudden went viral, that opened up the door for her that she's walked into now. And what is so hilarious, now let me tell you this, this is how God is. The ensembles that she didn't make Students that are a friend of hers have sent her various videos of those ensembles recording Abby's original songs and performing them at Belmont. (laughs) I kid you not. She said, You know, the Lord always has an ace up his sleeve, doesn't he, Daddy? I said, Honey, he sure does. And he also worked on you in that process. Something changed in your heart. Adversity's your friend, Saints adversity is your friend because it will press you to change and grow in areas that you otherwise won't just sign up and volunteer for that to happen. The coach that cut Michael Jordan wasn't his enemy. He was his friend because it set a fire inside Michael that made him a world champion. Are y'all hearing anything I'm saying this morning? When the pain to stay the same becomes greater than the pain it takes to change, then we become willing to change. Last point, four ways to overcome adversity. Are you ready? Y'all taking notes? If you're taking notes, wave your paper at me. Let me see it. All right, that's quite a few. I'm seeing it. We've been thinking we were just going to quit printing those because we didn't think anybody wanted them. Do you all want us to keep printing them? Okay, that's a good little printing and ink expense, and we'll keep doing that if you all are using them. But if you're not using them, we were going to cut it. So first service, we didn't have that many. But if you all are really taking advantage of it, you're going to write this down, then we'll keep printing those notes, okay? Four ways to overcome adversity. Number one, change your mind It's not your circumstance that is important, saints. It's how you respond to it. What's happening in your life is not nearly as important as how you see it. Matter of fact, the devil is not even your problem. It's what you think about him that's the problem. Because if you really look at the word, he's already defeated. But if you make him bigger than he is and you give him power he doesn't even have, then how you think is really your problem. It's not him. Your problem is not the problem, but how you think about the problem is your problem. Now, that'll preach. It's not your circumstance, but it's your response that matters. Look at somebody and say, change your mind. Number two, kill the excuses. Quit making excuses. These are lies that we tell ourselves that become self-fulfilling prophecies. Abraham was too old, David was too young, Gideon was too scared, Peter was too impetuous, Paul was too proud and too legalistic. But God had a ways and means committee to be able to shake every one of those people and help them to see outside of their own boxes. And when a 75-year-old was willing to take the faith of a promise of God, at 100 he had a son that was a promised child. Even though Gideon was behind the wine press threshing out the wheat, the angel of the Lord showed up and said, hail thou mighty man of courage and valor. And Gideon says, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? We got to change our mind and we got to kill our excuses. Number three, don't take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. Caleb was 85 years old. He had left Egypt. Egypt with Joshua and Moses. And he said at 85, give me this mountain. Don't count me out because I'm an octogenarian. I'm telling you the same strength that I had when I was at 40 years old. I've got it in my bones, and I'm willing to take out all of those ites out there. Give me my mountain. And Caleb took his mountain at 85. Jacob was blessed because he wouldn't let go until. He wrestled all night with the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Ladies, you're not left out. Deborah stood up as a judge in Israel when there was no man to do the job. The scripture says she arose a mother in Israel and she prophesied and she said, Today the Lord will hand Sisera into the hands of a woman. Hear it, sisters. If it weren't for you, there wouldn't be Christianity. Women, women were the last at the cross and they were the first at the tomb when the men had already run off scared. Now, I'm all about strengthening my brothers. I told the Lord when I came here to pastor this church, God, I refuse to pastor a charismatic hen house. I'm not going to pastor a bunch of little old g- gossiping women. I want some strong men. And we got some strong men in the house. But brothers, it's time that we also acknowledge it takes some strong women beside you who walk with you. And the ladies on historical record were the last ones at the cross when the men had already left and they were the first ones at the tomb. And a woman was the first one to carry the news that Jesus was alive. Don't tell me women can't talk. I gotta go on. Number four, trust God. Everybody say, trust God. What does that mean? Have faith. You have a choice. You can either walk in faith or you can walk in fear. And let me just tell you from experience, from 40 years of ministry right now at this point, it takes a lot more energy to walk in fear than it does to walk in faith to learn how to cast my care on the Lord and say, God, this is too big for me. I need your strength. I'm leaning into you. I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart. Help me. Give me an enlarged heart to handle this adversity. Give me the heart, the adversity quotient to not fail, to not give in, to not quit. Have faith in God's ability. This is God confidence. This is not swag. This is humility at its finest. It says, God, I can't do this without you. God, I trust in you. Thank you that I'm not without you. Trusting in the Lord, humbly saying, God, take this and fight my battles. Listen to this last section of Scripture as I close this message this morning. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 4, second letter to the Corinthians. He says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death but this has resulted in eternal life for you but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said i believed in god so i spoke have you know sometimes you have to speak up you have to take your stand we know that god who raised the lord jesus will also raise us with jesus and present us to himself together with you all of this is for your benefit And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us what you're going through right now is there's a reason for it. The adversity, the opposition, the tribulation, the trial is your friend. It's going it's to produce a greater strength in you that you would have never had had you not gone through it. I've cried a river of tears in my house by myself. I've shaken my fist in my backyard. I've been angry, I've been mad, I've been sad, and its I've come around and experienced all of the emotions to the point that I've had to say, God, there's nothing I can do, and I know she's not coming back. Now, I'm going to lean into life. I'm going to reach for life. I'm not going to stay in a place of bowing before in the shroud of death. I'm going to reach for life. I'm going to move toward life. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, For I reckon, Paul was a southerner, you didn't know that, did you? For I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory which is about to be revealed in us. Just hang on, don't quit. Look at your neighbors say, hang on, don't quit. What you're going through is nothing compared to what God is about to bring into your life. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give him praise. Last verse. Hear this. Hear this. Let this word penetrate the, the depth of the soil of your soul. Hear it this morning. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. There's some eternal things that God is working and producing in your lives right now. Whining and complaining and griping and all of those things are not going to do you any good. God is after your response. What you're going through is not nearly as important as your response to what you're going through. Get on the inside of you the determination that says, God, I'm going to praise you in the midst of the trial. What did Peter say in his epistle? That we would glorify God in the fires. All the while, the fire burns out the dross and it presents to the Father something that is pure gold. I don't like it. Don't enjoy it. But oh, how much faster it can be if I can just learn to respond the right way. And God is listening. And people are listening. And the community is watching. I'm telling you, we've walked through some valleys, but we're about to experience a great mountaintop as we move from this bedraggled location into something that is amazing for us. And it's just a tool. It's not, it's not the end all of everything. It's just a tool for us to actually be a, a better equipped to reach the delta with the gospel than we've ever been equipped before. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Listen, listen to me this morning. You're sitting here into the sound of my voice today, and if there's anything in this message that has resonated in your heart that says, you know... I fainted in the day of verse, adversity and my strength is small. And I need to lean into the Lord and let him be my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song. He is my salvation. Don't, don't, don't waste one second being guilty or feeling being down yourself because you have fainted in the day of adversity or because you've crushed under pressure. Because the point is right now you have that opportunity. It was a test that showed you that you didn't have enough in your own ability to do it, but now you can lean into the one who does. And the Bible says in in Isaiah 40, 30, 31, it says, "Even, Even youths grow weary. But it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the promise of God to everybody in this room this morning. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't do know Jesus as your personal Savior. You know about Him. You believe He was a really great guy. Maybe even believe that He was the Son of God. But until you know Him in your heart as your Savior and Lord, there's a whole different kind of relationship that you have when you begin to lean into Him and trust in Him and rely upon Him. So this morning I just want to say, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed,